Okay, Power Rangers, let's do it! Go, go, Power Rangers! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 30 of Live and Let Die Ranger, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to go see a Sentai Die Ranger. Every week we watch an episode of the show and share our thoughts with you, the listeners. My name is Matt J, and with me as always is uh, my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. I'm good, man. I am uh, tired. Tired. I just got back from a LARP event, but uh, that's actually kind of... Uh, shooting the gun. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> shooting the gun? Are we shooting, shooting the, the gun? gun. It's jumping the gun. Jumping the gun a little bit. Because uh, I think, Matt, I think there's something. I don't remember. I think there might be something shining. Oh, you mean up in the heavens? Yeah, there yeah. are. Yeah. What is it again? Well, I mean, specifically, shining in the heavens, Dave, there are five stars. That's it. That's um, what it was. Like so I said, what, tired. What, uh, what's our first star of the week? Well, the first star of the week, Matt, is I just got back from uh, the first LARP event of the season. Oh, you don't say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I, okay, I should clarify. There are other events that were earlier this year, but they were in the winter and I don't play. I don't LARP in the winter. There are people that do. That's awesome. Great for you if that's your thing. Uh, I don't LARP when it's cold, though. I just don't. So this was my first event of the season, and it was a great one. I had a ton of fun. It was beautiful weather, which is a nice surprise because it was supposed to be super gross out. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, dude. It was supposed to just rain from start to finish. And uh, I'm glad it didn't. I hate playing in the rain. If it had... If I, I actually... I'm sorry. I ran this event. This was one of the ones... Because I've told you this before, right? I run part of the time and I play part of the time. Yeah. So this was an event I was running. And if it had rained all time and I, and I had been a... I've been a player rather than a runner. I just would have not gone. I dislike it that much. But the weather report was totally wrong. It was fantastic weather. It was like 65 and sunny during the day. It was a little cold at night. Clear blue skies. Like literally could not have asked for better weather. It was perfect. That's gorgeous. And even better than that, in preparation for the event being like awful and rainy, Mm -hmm. I was like, listen, hate playing in the rain i hate like i just hate being wet and like gross like like it drains oh no me. it's the worst yeah it's like psychically and i like you know you got to be at your best because like running an event is just a lot it's like a lot of mental energy right and sure. physical energy and so a friend of ours who also was playing he's like dude let's just get a and b like an airbnb i found one it's like 15 minutes away it'll be a hundred bucks per person uh, like for the whole weekend. Oh, be so instead of like, like staying in the terrible cabins on site, as yeah. soon as the event ended, you just drove out to this house and slept there. Yeah, and I was like, "Why don't I do this all the time?" You know, I'm this not sure amazing. because that sounds like the best way to do it. Because half the time, the reason that I don't want to go LARPing is because I just don't want to spend that much time on that campground. Well, okay, to be. To be honest, like part of it is that it's expensive. You know what oh, I mean? Sure. Like you gotta, you're going for the event, and you gotta help pay for the camp because that's where the game takes place. And then you gotta pay for a, you know, a, what do you call it, a hotel room or whatever on top of that. So it's it's pricey. Um, but if you've got the bucks, definitely the way to go. <laughs> like I left the event. Yeah, you know, I still left at like two thirty in the morning or whatever because that's kind of when things shut down. 
And uh, and then I went and I slept in a bed with like a, a real bathroom. The bed didn't have a bathroom, but well, sure that that <laughs> would that would not be the best place to stay. No. <laughs> that would be weird, man. But um, yeah, it was a ton of fun. I feel like the players had fun. I hope they did. Um, I had a good time. So yeah, that's I'm it. I'm sure they had a great first... time. I... And if not, then uh, <laughs> screw them. They're ungrateful. You guys put in a lot of work. <laughs> that's I. Uh, I'm gonna let you say that. Hey, man, they're not my players. <laughs> hey, you guys, players, uh, I hope you had a good time. If not, uh, go suck a lemon. <laughs> I, appreciate your, uh, I appreciate your solidarity. Okay. So, um, all right, Matt, uh, what is our second star of the week? Dave, our second star of the week. So, our, um, our mother and grandmother are both in town right now, and so... Yeah. Since you and uh, Beth were out for the weekend, uh, mom and grandma were staying with me, right which on. was great. We cool. hung out. We ordered a pizza. We played dominoes. We watched the movie Charade, which I love. In many ways, an love ideal the movie weekend. Charade. But one thing that it did stop me from doing was full-on binging on Daredevil. I don't know if that's good or bad. Oh, it's it was a bad thing, Dave, because what ended up happening was that last night, I was up until 2 in the morning lying in bed watching the first two episodes of Daredevil on my phone. Because <laughs> I was like, I gotta watch this go thing. On? Oh, because they were out on the couch. No, because mom was sleeping on the couch, and that's where my TV is. But you have, a, you have a laptop. I know for a fact you do, because you're recording this episode on this. Yeah, but, you know, I was in bed. Just Whatever. That's not... <laughs> okay. Whether it was the laptop or the phone was not the issue. The fact is that i did not have a chance to start watching it until okay midnight so, wait, last right. night. so you're watching this thing on your phone dave this show is really good like i'm okay i'm super psyched i to hear I you say because i have how also much i like uh some of these superhero tv shows that are out right now flash mm-hmm. is great i really liked yep. agent of carter agents yep. of shield is fun uh those shows can much like your ungrateful players go suck a lemon because daredevil is fantastic <laughs> <laughs> seriously i've only watched the first two episodes and uh it is boss it's great um i definitely recommend checking it out there's a scene there's a fight scene at this end of the second episode that i won't tell you about um it was just shot in a really cool way and it was it's just a ton of fun the actors Dude, are all great really i am i'm super looking forward to it now one thing that i am really curious about and you are often up on this stuff a little bit more than i am is what is the kind of interplay between what I will call like the sort of Netflix portion of the Marvel Universe, which is mm-hmm. like the New York Heroes for Hire, like Daredevil, sure. Luke Cage, Power Girl, or uh, Power Girl, oh my gosh, Luke Cage, Power Man, Jessica Jones, etc. Um, so the way that they're doing it is, so they're making Daredevil now, and then they're going to be making... Um, Alias, the uh, the Jessica Jones show, and then there's going to be right. a Luke Cage show, and then an Iron Fist show. I think in that right. order. I, yeah, I think you're right. And then there's going to be a fifth show where all of those cross over together. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and all of those are also in continuity with the movies and the shows on ABC, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter. Okay, so, when, so the uh, whole yeah, shebang is all one big thing. So by movies, I, I guess in my head, I refer to it as like, I think of it as like the larger Marvel universe, and that's kind of everything that isn't like X-Men, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four. Right. Which is bizarre. Because Although even Spider-Man's comics, coming course, in. Oh, that's right. Because in the comics, of course, like X-Men, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four are like enormous sellers. 
And I think that just kind of goes, sadly, just sort of goes to show like the difference in radness of those movies. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. What's it's one just, thing that is dude. weird about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that the Marvel comic books, like a lot of that all spins out of like when you read those comic books, you can yeah. sort of you can get the feeling that the Fantastic Four were the first people there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like very that definitely. sort of puts a like that is where those things started and other things sort of filled in around them. But right. with the movies Things very much filled in around like Iron Man and Shield, and it gives everything a very different feel, even if those individual elements aren't too different from their source materials. Yes. But okay, here's a cool thing. So you know how when uh Daredevil was written in the eighties, and listeners, if you're not familiar, uh there's a run of Daredevil in the eighties, uh Frank Miller, sort of followed by Anne Nascenti, uh great, great, great books. And oh, honestly, yeah. Daredevil's been really good for a long time. Mm-hmm. But Daredevil lives in the part of New York City called Hell's Kitchen. And in the comic books, Hell's Kitchen is what the nickname suggests. You know, it's a very bad place to be. It's, yeah. It's 80s crime New York City, you know? Yeah, like before it got worst. Yeah. It's like, it's like what Gotham, I feel like, ought to be if it was published in, like, the Grim and Grit. Like, if Marvel published Gotham, it's Hell's Kitchen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Anyways. Anyway, but now, like, if you, Dave, were to get on a plane and fly to New York City and make your way to Hell's Kitchen, I feel Hell's like Kitchen is nice. Like, it's a, you know, it has been very much cleaned up. It's a oh, cool no place kidding. to live. Oh, um, that. And so, <laughs> but the TV them. show is still set in Hell's Kitchen, and the way they figured out around it was that, and this isn't really a spoiler, because, because as soon as it becomes irrelevant to the show, they tell you about it. Oh, okay. But Hell's Kitchen was very much damaged in the attack on New York City when there was an alien invasion in um, Avengers. And ah. so they sort of figured out a way to say, okay, this part of town is as crummy as its fictionalized version in the 80s because it was blown up by aliens like five years ago. And it's, you know, there's a lot of corruption and stuff involved in the people who are rebuilding it. So there's a lot of crime and everything's broken down and it's really cool. They did a just sort of it was a very elegant solution to what wow, could have been a, that's, a no, problem they just some ignored slick entirely. Kind of stitching together. Anyway, that's just one of the things about that show that was done super well. The other things that were done super well was everything else about that show. Go watch Daredevil. It's great. Yeah, no, I listen, man, I've got a lot of TV to catch up on. <laughs> Dave been... Foggy Nelson is played by one of the Bash brothers from uh, Mighty what? Ducks. You nice. That. I'm glad that that guy's working. That's good for good for him. Um, anyway, yeah, dude. So, I've got again. I got a ton of TV yeah. to catch up on, which seems a, it's like always a weird thing for me to say or hear. Like, oh, I've got a lot of this like totally frivolous like thing to like catch up on, as though I have like some responsibility to watch it. Right, as though you have a pile of bills sitting on your table. Right, you like oh, I really got to start through. working through these. <laughs> Like, no, I just need to finish watching Daredevil so that then I can go back to watching other things. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, so exactly. I could I could keep talking about how great Daredevil is uh, for a while, but A, I've only seen two episodes. B, I don't want to spoil it. And C, we have three more stars to go. So Dave, yep. what is our third star of the week? So, deviating slightly, salad bars, man. Let's talk about salad bars for a second. Okay. 
that's it's a little a, bit more than a slight deviation. It's but, a weird uh, jump. Let's go for it. It's a weird jump, but... It, okay, sorry. I was thinking about this because I, I went to a cellar. I went to an Eaton Park, actually, which I know that you sort of have a, uh, you know, a, a fondness for yourself. I have fond memories of Eaton Park from back yeah. in our uh, college days, Dave. <laughs> right. Uh, I seem to recall some complaint about coffee mugs, but I don't remember exactly what it was. Listen, for the record, there was a time that Eaton Park changed the size of their coffee mugs <laughs> from a full, good-sized coffee mug to a sort of like two-thirds size narrower mug. I noticed, I mentioned it one time, and uh, have not gotten, have not ceased to get crap about it ever since. (laughs) I think, well, I continue just to hear you talk about it because I think it's really funny. Because the part that's great about it is you continued vehemence about the coffee cups. And you know what? About six months to a year later, they changed the mugs back. Because I was right, and they were dumb. So take that, Eaton Park. You, (laughs) too, can go suck a lemon. Moving on, Dave. Tell me about their salad bar. So, Okay, so Eaton Park is a salad bar, which normally, listen, I love salad. Like, I like to eat salad Um, just in general. I'll order a dinner salad at a restaurant. You know what I'm saying? I like salad. But I particularly love salad post a LARP event because Matt... I know you don't LARP, despite the fact that like a huge portion of the people that you hang out with on a regular basis do so, you've admitted that it's fun, and you have an awesome costume for it. Sure, sure. Homemade yeah. chainmail, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Get on my so, level. But I tell you, dude, you have never gruffled a salad bar until you've gruffled a salad bar after a LARP event. Because there's no... Okay, so like the people who run Tavern are doing so in like camp kitchens, right? Now, Dave, when you say run tavern, there is a part of the camp set aside, usually in oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the kitchen sorry. if they have one, where you can go in and get food throughout the weekend. Yeah, sorry. LARP events are usually run, at least our chapter, we run them out of like boy and or Girl Scout camps, right? And so because the, you know there are campers there, there's like a kitchen so that they can eat. But these are not, like, you know, these are like, they're camp kitchens. And most of them aren't like super amazing camp kitchens. And so the ability of the people who are cooking the food is, like, somewhat limited. It's limited. And so there's not usually a lot of, like, fresh fruit and veg. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. And so after a weekend of, like, hamburgers and kind of the granola and nuts that you brought to, like, sustain you and, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, you just show up at Eaton Park. And just cram vegetables into your face. <laughs> it's fantastic. And also I found out, Matt, that Eaton Park has like a brunch buffet. Or at least the one by LARP does. No way. Yeah. It was actually it was actually pretty okay, it was like Eaton Park. It was like nine fifty. So we're not talking the Ritz here. But entirely serviceable. And this was weird. They had uh, klushki on the menu. Like, it was part of the buffet. Really? Yeah. Sorry, klushki, if you're not aware, is, um, it's, a, it's cabbage and noodles. It's like sautéed cabbage and, and noodles. It's a Polish dish. Um, I don't eat it because I loathe cabbage, which I'm sure generations of our Polish ancestors would, like, sneer at me for, but I can't stand it. Um, but I look over and I was like, is that klushki? And the lady who was putting it in 
was not native to America. And she was like, oh, no. And I was like, that's cabbage and noodles. And she's like, oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's Klushki. And <laughs> I was like, I did not know that there was a large enough Polish population in and around the area of LARP, which is unlike Wheeling, West Virginia-ish, to justify Klushki on an Eaton Park brunch buffet menu. It just seemed like a weird go-to for me. Like, really? You've got... That's a weird thing to have. But they had it. All right. Well, there you go. So I love salad bars. It's really... That was kind of the end of that conversation. I really like a good salad bar. Okay, so um, the fourth star of the week, Dave, is that I bought a new album this week because the Mountain Goats put out a new album this week. Oh, right on. And by the Mountain Goats, you mean the guy, the one guy. Well, there's three guys. Oh, I thought that Mountain Goats was one of those bands that, like, it's really just one dude. They're, like, Mountain Goats have been around forever. And for a long time, it was basically just John Darnielle, like, shouting into the record button of his boombox, um, <laughs> put, putting together really good music, but, you know, really just one dude. Uh, but for the last, I don't know how many years, he has basically had the same backing band of two dudes. Uh, one of them, his drummer, is uh, John Worcester, who's also the drummer of Superchunk, okay. who's also uh, one half or, you know, uh, one chunk of uh, The Best Show, which is Tom Sharpling's old radio show on WFMU and now podcast on oh, cool. where podcasts are. Um, and a, another guy whose name I can never remember, but it's not John. So, <laughs> sorry, um, third dude from the Mountain Goods. Anyway, they put out a new album. It's called Beat the Champ. It's all about uh, pro wrestling. And uh, even if like you the songs themselves are all about pro wrestling. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a concept album, and like all right of on. the songs are sort of themed around uh, professional wrestling stuff. And it's it is not the sort of thing that you have to be a professional <laughs> wrestling fan to enjoy. It's just a really I good album. I don't know a ton about the Mountain Goats, but from what I do know, everything you said just makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, a few years ago, he put out a album where I think each song was based on like a different book of the Bible. Um, sure, but, why not? But in the same way that this is all based on professional wrestling, like it's yeah. sort of loosely as he perceives it, you know. But mm -hmm. the album's called Beat the Champ, and dudes, cool. uh, check out that album. It's really good. Now, when you say really good, just to be clear... Uh, if you're not familiar with the Mountain Goods at all, when you say really good, and you're talking about a concept album about pro, pro wrestling, you're not talking really good in like a Weird Al sense. Like, hey, this is like funny and silly and crazy. Oh, no, no, no. This is not like, uh, it's not a joke band or a joke album. Like, right. it's it's a good, like, some of the songs are like good rollick and rock and roll songs. Some of them have like pianos and oboes in them and you get a little misty listening to a song about a dude drive home after uh, getting beat up at a pro wrestling event in the uh, Southwest territory. So there you go. It's good. Okay. Uh, okay That's now, really all so... there is to it. I'm not, I can't like, I can't, like <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, I'll play you clips or anything, but um, check that nonsense out. Right on. Anyway. Uh, so Dave, uh, finally, what is our fifth star of the week? Sure. Fifth star of the week, Matt, is uh, I, if you recall, mentioned that my wife and another friend of ours, Tom, uh, are doing a, another podcast, also under the Retrograde Orbit Radio banner, 
And it's called The Ration Project. Uh, Matt, if you, I don't know, post a link to it. Anyways, and The Ration Project is, is that for a year, we're living on World War II rations. And so, and I was like, I'll update you guys periodically. So I'm updating you periodically. So we're in rations now. Because yeah. like when we started out, it was just like World War II era recipes. But we started out actually pre-war in our like kind of made up timeline. Okay. So the war has started. Rationing has started. And now we're like full on into rationing. And, and how has that been? It's okay. It actually hasn't been bad so far. Okay. The weirdest thing about it is that you have to like you have to think about things that you weren't thinking about before. Like the only things that are on ration right now are like butter, sugar, uh, like butter slash like oil and cooking oil, uh-huh. uh, like tea, but like the tea ration is like enormous. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> you're you specifically are living on British rations, right? British rations, right? And like, I'm a tea drinker. Like, I drink far more tea than coffee. And the, <laughs> the ration mat for tea is like six ounces per person per week. And that's like of that's a dry, yeah, dried tea leaves. Six ounces of dried tea leaves. Okay, so you're not running out of tea. <laughs> no, but if you're British, maybe you are. Like that's you got to cut down to six ounces of tea a week. Which, if you're just doing like bags of tea rather than loose tea, is it's it's almost like a box of tea. It's a staggering amount. Wow! But like, that's so that's no big deal. Um, but yeah, the weird thing is, is having to think about stuff like, oh, I've only got like we've got six ounces of butter between us, and um, since mom and grandma are living with us for these last couple of weeks, because you know, like you said, they've been staying with us. Sure. Um, we have been including them, so like we kind of have a little bit of a buffer because we okay. Because, like, if you have a large group of people, it's a little bit easier. You know what I mean? Because, like, so f- between four people, we had, I don't know, I think, like, a pound and a half of butter for the week, which is fine. When they leave, all of a sudden, Beth and I are down to, like, you know, six ounces or whatever. And six ounces of butter, it's a stick and a half. Which is not too much for two people for a week, which yeah. I guess is the point. Right. It actually goes a lot farther than you think. And it's like two pounds of meat per person per week, which you're like, ah, two pounds of meat. But when you think about how much meat Americans eat, like we eat huge amounts of meat. Oh, yeah, dude. I just crushed uh, half of a leftover Reuben before we sat down to do this. I must have eaten (laughs) half a pound of corned beef in like five minutes. Yeah. Oh, dude. Uh, Two pounds of meat per person per week, if you kind of like suss it out, is like, it's like five ounces a day. So it's like slightly more, and that's and that's uncooked weight, you know. So if you get like five ounces oh, of raw yeah. meat, you're down to depending on like me. how lean or whatever your meat is, you're down to like three, four ounces a day. So that's like a quarter pounder of meat per day. Now that doesn't include weirdly. The, <laughs> there's a meat ration, and then there's also a bacon slash ham ration. Like really? they were separate. Yeah, maybe it's like a meat ration and a breakfast meat ration. I have no idea. Um, but so far, actually, things aren't that bad. Like, it's like, eh, you got to think about it, but it's totally, like, I'm not suffering. You know what I mean? 
I'm wi- but like I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right. You when know? all of a sudden you look at your ration list for the week and notice that there is no like milk on it. Yeah, just like nope, there's no milk. And um like eventually the meat ration gets down to like a pound per person per week. Oh, start start stocking up on spam, my friend. Dude, that's I mean, yeah, you just eat spam. But no, spam is part of the ration. And we what we're not what we're trying to do is not stock up on stuff. Okay. Because it seems kind of cheating. Because theoretically this is taking place over the course of many years. You know what I mean? Right. So you can't store your butter ration from June to February. And so we're trying to like we buy enough for the week and then we just sort of have that. Rather than so we're not like saving up stuff. You know what I mean? But um, it's totally cool. It's fun. I don't know. I think I've actually lost a couple of pounds. So cool. Hey, nice. And um, yeah, that's it, Matt. So uh, what, Matt, is this episode called? David, what are we getting ourselves into here? Okay, so this, as I said at the top, this is episode 30. So let that sink in for a second. Um, And wow. this episode is called The Deadly Fast-Talking Workaholic, uh, which, Deadly if you recall, I imagine is in reference to the... Uh, the villain that they didn't end up killing at the end of last episode. Oh yeah, no, that's definitely got to be that's got to be the, it with the uh, with the tongue twister bombs. Yeah, um, yeah. We will find out what happened to Cameo, why he has turned into a turtle. I imagine <gasps> oh, we'll get. I'm excited uh, about that. We'll move a little forward on the hole that they were digging in the quarry, and we will hit all of those things and more when we come back after the break. All right, so welcome back. We have just finished watching episode 30 of Live and Let Die Ranger. Dave, what just happened? Whoa, where to start? Okay, so at first I thought that your description of what we were going to encounter in the episode map would almost have uh, obviated any need that I would have to do a recap, and that is not true, because like a million things happen in this episode. Um, we find out what's in the hole that the kids are digging in the quarry, um, we do, in fact, defeat the fast-talking con man, as you said, and man, you know, I feel like it's not actually a, a, a like a big storyline, like a bunch of things kind of get resolved is probably the easiest way to think about it. That's the best recap I think I got. So let's just get into it is what I would say, because there is okay. a lot to cover. So we start off the episode with a quick recap of what was happening, um, which I sort of already covered before the break. Ko was right. kidnapped. He's digging in a hole with a bunch of other kids. Um, there was the bombs. The Die Rangers lost the fight. Uh, Cameo has been turned into a turtle. And that's kind of where we are. So yeah. we rejoin our heroes as they are fighting the fast-talking wanderer. Yeah, okay. Just real quickly, there was no... Uh... It took me a second to like realize what had happened because there was no like transition from Dave, the yeah. This happens literally every time there is a part two, <laughs> and every time you bring it up, it okay. just starts in in the middle of the same scene that we left in last time. Okay, well I forgot about it and it threw me off again. But anyways, Ryu does open with a uh, with a strong move, man. And a move that I'm kind of surprised that it took them this long to think of. Yeah, that's a good point. Because what he does is he like he gets the bomb thrown at him. The what do you call it? The tongue the twister, tongue twister bomb. bomb let's you. call it. 
So he gets a tongue twister bomb thrown at him, and he realizes that he can't see the tongue twister, so he just jumps over and, like, grabs the fast-talking con man. He's like, well, if I'm going, you're going with me. just holds the bomb to his neck. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I forget, the bomb does go off, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they both get blown up, but right. the fast-talking wanderer was not expecting it. And so he decides that it is time to flee. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Rin gets off what appears to be kind of like a leveled up tornado attack that she had already been doing. You know, like she's got oh, that thing where yeah. she like launches a tornado at you. But now it's a little more like directly from her hand, like a like a beam of a tornado. I don't. That's kind of a weird way to say it, but she totally hits him with it. It looks really cool. And then he runs. He's like, I'll be back effectively. And so scene cuts, and we go back to Rin's apartment, and uh, her grandpa is working on putting together the Kiryoku Bazooka. Right. Guhan is his name. Thank you. I In my notes, he is always just Gramps, because in an earlier episode, I decided to not care what his name was. <laughs> but you're right. Uh, so Guhan's putting it together, and they all sort of storm in... In the same sort of attitude that they always have post-defeat. Right. They're like, Everyone is sort of downcast and angry, and Shoji is furious at the world. They're also, that's right. They're all sort of helping each other along. And uh, the best part is he's like, Guhan is, he says, wow, you guys look rough. I bet bet that Goma beat you, didn't he? And he's like making fun of them about it, which is awesome. It is awesome. He is not kind at all, which we know, but... Right. I think the best part about the fact that he mocks them for losing, because it's not like a they're a baseball team that, like, think they're really great. It's just like, ah, those guys beat you up. Like, they are the heroes that, is, that are standing in the way of the Goma destroying slash dominating the entire planet. And he still is like... Ah, you guys are kind of lame. <laughs> like, yeah. dude, this is not this is not like a laughing situation. If the Rangers lose, like that's really problematic. Not just for yes, them. They are humanity's last hope. <laughs> right? Maybe don't make fun of them if they lose. Maybe be really concerned. Would be a better reaction. But anyways, anyway, so Shoji says, "Hey, listen, Guhan, we really need this bazooka. So hurry it up, like." We lost to this guy. He stole all our weapons. And Guhan is like, wait, hold on. He did what? Because we are about to have a big problem here, son. Right. Because as he reveals, oh, yeah, it needs all your die busters to work as well. So it needs the bazooka itself, the temple Rai Rai balls, and all of their die busters. And their I don't, swords okay. as well, I think. Basically, almost everything that they have just plugs into this thing and it channels it all together into one big bazooka shot yeah now what doesn't make sense to me is aside from the tempo rai rai balls which are like unique kind of artifacty things go on built all of their other weapons oh yeah yeah like he is the one who built the die busters and like all of this other stuff so why did he then make the bazooka require those components why not just build it with them already in it? Or if they really did lose them, he could just whip up a new batch. Like right. it might take him a couple of weeks, but you know he's an industrious fellow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because this makes no sense. And I mean, unless they were selling like a giant die bazooka toy that 
Oh, well, I mean, I can promise you that they were selling a giant Daibazooka toy. Really? That seems seems really large. Well, okay, maybe not large enough like a life-size one, but I'm sure there was a toy for the... Like oh, the, yeah, the yeah. other okay. toys to be using. That makes in my head the toys that they were selling were like child sized die busters, and then so they would also need like a child sized die bazooka. Man, I really want a life sized <laughs> die bazooka because this thing looks <laughs> great. It's huge. Yeah, it's got like a lion. It takes all five of them to hold it. Yeah, it's rad. Oh, actually, Matt, speaking of like the die busters and die bazooka and everything, did Uh I tell you I was watching a nature documentary on China because I love nature documentaries. I think this has maybe come up before. And I found out that there is a real like Chinese ethnic group called like the die peoples. It's actually composed of like a number of different sub-ethnic groups. But yeah, it's like a real thing. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, so this is absolutely... Now I feel like I need to go back through and listen to all 30 episodes and figure out if we have ever said anything that could be considered racist against a people group that we did not know actually existed. Yeah, so this is absolutely like the Japanese version of, like, Americans using Native Americans as, like, a strange and mystical people, behold, you know, that have weird powers. Like, that's absolutely what Die Ranger is doing. They just took, an, like, a real group of ethnic people that actually exist, or a real ethnic group that actually exists, and <laughs> just said, like, oh, yeah, those guys are totally magic, and we're making a TV show that does not actually take into account anything about their real lives at all. Although, now that you say that, all I want is for a weird, like, Native American-themed tokusatsu show. I sort of do. It is comforting in a way that this is a thing that happened because, I don't know, I sometimes feel like the worst because I'm American. And it's nice to know, like, oh, no, everybody else is also the worst. We're just louder? I don't know. Anyway, They're just the worst in ways that we were not yet aware of. Right. But, yeah, but, like, the Japanese are also the worst. Like, they're also super racist, inadvertently. Uh, I feel like this is taking a weird turn into, like, serious territory, and I immediately want to stop. So let's go back to okay, making so fun of 90s children's shows. Okay, let's just the record on that. <laughs> okay. So um, it turns out that the Dai Bazooka, if you forgot where we were, needs all of their, like, special parts and stuff to work. And so everyone's like, well, you're going to need that stuff back. I don't know what to tell you. So, so Rin is immediately really sad because they know that Ko... Well, yeah, because the thing is that Ko is still kidnapped, and now she's feeling like, you know, we can't power the bazooka, we can't beat the... Right. Like the fast-talking wanderer, so we're not going to be able to save Ko. And not only yeah. are we not going to be able to save him now... But if we don't save him now, he's going to turn into a go Yeah, like this is kind of going to be it. Thing, and she sort of, you know, starts to cry. Kazu then remembers, like, well, I can't do that right now. Like, that is outside of my abilities. I can't go and get our stuff back. But what I but, can do is give another shot at finding the seventh tempo Rai Rai gem. Okay, uh, that is, I think, Matt, what he means. That is not actually what he says. Because what he says is, oh, yeah, Cameo, like this dude I know, has the seventh thing. I'll go see if I can get it from him. Sick like, dude. We've already clearly established that Cameo does not, in fact, have this thing, nor does he even know where it is. 
So it seems like Nor he seems like he weirdly nonchalant right now. But he doesn't know that. Right. So Kazu now at least tells everyone else, like, oh yeah, Cameo found this thing. I'm gonna go see if I can't, you know, figure this deal out. Yeah. And so he goes off to where we left Cameo last time, where, if you will recall, he was by the side of a river and he'd recently been turned into a small turtle. Right. Matt, let me hop back for just a second. There's something that I noticed about Ryu's costume. Because, uh, you know, he wears like a, if you haven't been watching the show, he wears like a red t-shirt and jeans and then like a white windbreaker, right? Yes. And I just noticed that the white windbreaker is from Champion Brand. Like Champion Brand Athletics apparel, I guess. Oh, and yeah? I just I just really hope that it was on purpose. They're like, well, what brand of jacket should he wear? And they're like, Champion, clearly, because he's Ryu of the Die Rangers. Got right, he's, he's the champion. Put him in right. that jacket. I don't know if it's on purpose, but I hope it is. Like, I want it to be on purpose. But anyways, back to Cameo being a turtle for reasons that are yet unexplained. Uh, Kazu is just, like, wandering around looking for Cameo, not looking for a baby turtle. And so, you know. And reasonably. Right. So he misses baby turtle Cameo. And he still doesn't like, see the gem. And that's. Yeah pretty much it like this is not a scene where kazu succeeds he yeah. says i'm gonna go do this one thing i might be able to do and then he fails to do it <laughs> right so now we cut back to the quarry where we have the three goma commanders mm-hmm. uh the four kings of heaven and then a bunch of 10 year olds with shovels and pickaxes right digging a hole and steam is beginning to rise out of the hole and the three Goma commanders are really excited. They're super excited. There's something I want to say about is that the four kings of heaven, while the kids are digging and like the Goma commanders are just chilling out, are doing like a ritual of some sort. Okay. This is a ritual that is clearly fake. Like they just got some props for like, yeah, do some ritually stuff with this. It's so fake. It's so it's laughably fake. And the thing that weirds me out about this is that the religion, like the actual again, real life religion, that the priests are or that the four kings of heaven are dressed up as is a religion that is practiced in Japan, as far as I know. It's like, guys, you couldn't just do like a, a semi real looking thing. Like, they're literally just like waving their hands and going, like, uh. Now, Dave, b- before you get too deep into this, <laughs> I want yeah, you to go. confront the fact that it is entirely possible that they actually are doing some real Buddhist thing that you just don't know about because you don't know much about Buddhism. Okay. All right. If that is the case. If that is the case, I this is this is not a joke. If that is the case, I genuinely apologize because it looks as though it it looks absolutely fake. Now, the fact that they have horns on their heads is not helping the realism of the scene. Fair, fair. That's true. But anyways, but yeah, okay. they are like banging a drum and uh, chanting something that. I, I don't understand it, and they didn't uh, translate in the subtitles. Yeah. Well, that was part of it, because I don't think they're actually saying words. So anyways, okay, Matt, this, <laughs> this is where things get amazing. Okay, so the evil smoke 
mentioned in the previous episode, starts right. to stream out of a hole that oh, Go yeah. finds. It's getting crazy. The three Goma commanders run over, throw Ko away from this new jet of steam. <laughs> right. And are just have the biggest, like, evil smiles on their faces. Yeah. They actually just, they recycle some footage from last week's episode. Because, like, they move Ko out of the way. He puts his hand in front of the thing the Goma commander does. It, like, glows blue. He's like, oh, this is fantastic. They, I think, pull all the kids out of the quarry, the hole in the quarry. They jump back, and then they just, like, energy blast the remaining rocks out of the way. Which, again, at the time, led me to question, like, why, guys, why weren't you just, like, energy blasting all of these rocks out of the way? There actually turns out there is an explanation for that, but we'll get to that in a second. So they blow the rocks away, and then they jump down, and they find what they're looking for. They find the source of this power. And Matt, I'm going to give you the pleasure of saying what it is they were actually looking for. Okay, Dave. I'm going to do this with a brief anecdote. Why not? Let's take a step back. All the way back, (laughs) Dave, to the summer of 2006. Now, listeners, in the summer of 2006, I and uh, my good friend Eric, we went on an archaeological dig in Macedonia, on the side of a mountain. It was great. Now, there were two teams of archaeologists. There was the two Americans who were very interested in uh, sort of teaching us the process of archaeology. And mm-hmm. there were the two Macedonian lead archaeologists, uh, Kyrie and Damien, who were super excited about just digging because they had a sort of a limited amount of time. They wanted to find as many things on this dig right. as possible. So there was sort of a back and forth between the two, and it balanced out pretty well. But one day, the American archaeology archaeologists were off doing something else, and so we were just being led up by Kiri and Damien. And the test pit I was digging in, Damien was there, and he comes down in the morning and says, like, friends, today we dig deep. <laughs> okay. Like, oh, okay. Like, what, what exactly do you mean? It's like, Today, we dig until we find the devil. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's, yeah, that's deep, all right. And that is what they are doing here. They are digging (laughs) until they can find an entrance to hell. And then that hell entrance will spew out a new, even eviler sort of Ryoku called the Rei Ryoku. Oh my gosh. So they all jump into the quarry and are bathing in this, like, hell, evil Hell smoke. energy, yeah. This is the... Okay, this is my favorite part about this, or one of my favorite parts, is that the actual... And to be clear, this is not, like, a metaphorical, like, conduit. This is the actual, literal gateway to hell, okay? Yes. <laughs> in the world of Tyrate, sure. And it is buried, like, it's not even someplace, like, crazy. It's buried in, like, a quarry, like, ten feet underground. Ten feet under what was already loose rubble. (laughs) Right, in a quarry. So buried under loose rubble, ten feet outside of, ten feet underneath a quarry, slightly outside of Tokyo, we would assume, or some equivalent city. So, So, like... And somebody on a construction project needed like 50 or 60 more cubic yards of limestone. The show would have been over way earlier. (laughs) 
Okay. So, so as they're doing that, we there's a brief cutaway to um, Murder HQ. Uh, down oh across, yeah, I forgot about this. And there's this huge sort of chi explosion because right. as this energy is being released, it is sort of resonating with the like chi stuff that's down in murder basement. Yeah, although Kazu is the only one who reacts, which seems a little weird to me. But well, so, maybe he's most in touch with it. That makes sense. Um, yeah, so he kind of freaks out, and the rangers rush, and are like, hey, are you okay? And he's like, oh. And then it cuts away. Now, it turns out, we, we're back at the quarry, and it turns out that there actually is a reason why they kidnapped 10-year-old children to blow up rocks that they could have done way more easily themselves. In my defense, assuming that they would not have an explanation for this, it's been like three episodes, and there's not been any explanation. Right. They should have brought it up before this. But the actual right. reason that um, I think Kazu tells them Ye- is that they used a bunch of yeah. 10-year-olds to do the digging because 10-year-olds are brimming with a life energy. Yeah. Okay. And the, like their like, innocence and life energy is what, I guess completes the ritual that allows them to open the gateway to hell maybe that's what it seems like okay so maybe if said construction worker had just gone crazy with like a miner to i don't know what tools they use to mine uh you know but he was like a he's like a dude so he would not have been able to open it you needed needed to have the ritual and the 10 year olds and their attendant life energy and when that all comes together then if you're in the right place you can dig a hole to hell like eight feet tops below the surface (laughs) of the earth right you gotta have the right place the right thing at the right time or whatever so that's the way it works so kazu says listen uh you guys need to go right now because what's probably happening is that they are, like, gathering this evil hell energy, and now that they don't need the kids to dig anymore, it's entirely possible that they are straight up going to murder these children. So yeah, summon like, your Kaiden beasts and like, hit the road, Jack. You gotta hustle. Yeah. So they do. Uh, they, like, jump right on that. Uh, as they... Well, I'm sorry. They run out. They are going to leave Byako Shinken behind. He kind of calls out and is like, hey, don't forget me. And so Ryu grabs him, and then uh, they rush out. Kazu sort of joins the rest of them. He's like, hey, I couldn't find the other uh, Tenpo Rairai Jewel. Sorry. And they were like, listen, like that is not a problem right now. Right now, we need to go find this Hellmouth. <laughs> right. We have other stuff to do. So they summon their Kaiden Beast in the middle of the city, which seems like it could be destructive, but whatever. And uh, they jump. Like, they're all riding their Kaiden Beasts over to the quarry. And uh, it looks as though they have built actually a giant Ryuseo head for Ryu to stand on. I think that actually ends up just being like a trick shot, but it did look pretty cool. Like they did a neat thing. I think we've actually seen that before. I want, we haven't seen it in a long time. We might have seen that in the first episode. Oh, really? Like when he okay. jumps on and his feet like lock into it. No, no, no. We saw that. What I'm talking about is there's a shot where you see like it's a Front frontal shot, and you see uh, like the top of Ryusei's head, 
and you see Ryu standing on it, like doing some stuff. It's not like that, like far pan shot. It's like a real, it's a closer up shot. It looks cool. So the kind of beasts all show up. They hop on and they're heading towards the quarry. Right. And as they're going, um, we, you know, they're saying like, "Oh, we're gonna go. We're gonna go save them." And then Rin starts spitting off uh, tongue twisters. Yeah, which is a really, you know, kind of well done on Rin's part. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, maybe we should actually prepare in some way for the fight we're about to undertake. Right, like we failed to beat this guy before, so he's still around. So he's bound to be there. And so they all start going through doing these practice tongue twisters, except for Shoji, who's still terrible at them. Right, he tries and he very explicitly says like, ah, I'm the other one who can't do it. Remember this for later. Okay, so then the action does shift back to the quarry where the rangers summarily arrive. Right, and Ko sees them coming. He's like, aha, the die rangers are here. Because they haven't killed the kids yet. I mean, right. clearly, because that would be a pretty grim episode. Uh, <laughs> they are tied to, like, posts um, sort of up around the rim of the quarry, which we have seen a number of times. That is a a, a very cool, yeah, popular like place to get tied do. up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Goma just say like, Rangers, you're in for it now, effectively. Behold the power of what's in its, what is it called? It's, it's Rei Ryoku. Rei Ryoku. Oh, and we should have specified earlier that Rei Ryoku is the Ryoku of the dead. Right. So the Goma commanders are empowered by this Rei Ryoku and they like fade away and then... <laughs> Like giant phantasmal heads appear in the sky next to the Kaiden beasts and are like blowing them. You like they're like a threat, attacking them with like atmospheric effects, like wind and all this stuff, right? At one point, I think uh, Gara just has a giant phantasmal hand that flicks Rin off of. Uh, oh yeah, she totally does. Off of the Phoenix uh, Kaiden Beast head, <laughs> so, which was beautiful. Yeah. So they all jumped. So the Rangers are all knocked off. They land in the quarry, and I think it's Shotam just says like, "Behold the power of Ryu, Ray Ray Ryoku, right? Of yes, Ray it is Ryoku, Shotam, you're right." Yeah, and he, like, turns into, like, his silver-skinned monster form, I guess, and then enlarges without a bomb. He just, like, hulks out and turns into a giant. And then Shadam and uh, Ryusio, who's turned into his warrior form, uh, just start going at it mano a mano, and Ryusio is really getting the worst end of this. Oh, dude, he is, like, it's not even a contest. And then we cut back down to where they're fighting on the ground, and the other four rangers are fighting with Zydos and Gara, who are just, like, spitting purple energy at them and throwing them around. Yeah, it is not going anybody for any better for the rangers on the ground. Like, they are also getting destroyed. And Shoji is just yelling, like, Oh, like, Gramps, when is that bazooka going to be finished? And we cut to <laughs> Rin's apartment where he's just got like a power drill and is just putting <laughs> panels like on the thing. Chapping it at it. Okay, this moment, this made me think of something. How crazy is Guhan that he can build a gun that can theoretically beat like hell power? Do you see what and I'm saying? cannot figure out how to transport it. 
from China to Japan without disassembling it, putting it into 10 boxes and having them all separately shipped to Rin's apartment where he has to put it back together with a series of power tools over the course of like three days. And requiring like residual components from weapons that he's already designed. Like he is the dumbest genius. Okay. Okay. So we cut back and uh, dude, Ryusei goes down. And not like, oh, he's defeated. Like, literally, you see a, a he just falls to the ground, which we've never seen before. Or at least not in a long time. I don't ever remember seeing it, but yeah, maybe not in a long time. But he, like, he he eats dirt. Like, he's down. <laughs> the rangers are looking around, and they're like, where are our weapons? It's like, guys, guys, they were taken. You don't, you don't like, know where what, they are. What are the odds that they are going to be, like, Right over there on a cliff overhang in a neat little pile. I mean, really. Well, Matt, who would have thought? But amazingly, Matt, the Rangers should go buy lottery tickets because they are in luck. Of course, their weapons are like all of 30 feet away. Yeah, that's exactly what has happened. Like, there is a pile of all of their weapons, like, stacked like the die rods with the die rods, the die busters with the die busters. Right, like, so many little piles. Like, just slightly over there. Just a <laughs> bit. <laughs> but it doesn't matter, because they can't get to them. Like, they, they run over, they're trying to get to them, and the Goma commanders, like, using their Rei Ryoku are, like, blocking them, and, like, they can't get over there. And, uh, you know, things are even worse than before. So it, I think it cuts away for a commercial break or something. And then when it cuts back, you just see the rangers, like, they're all on the ground. Ryusei was on the ground. And it looks like the Goma commanders are triumphant. And then Ryuseo says, or Ryu rather, says, I will not allow this to happen. Dramatic moment. And then, like. So he's, and, and then he stands up. Dramatically. Stands up, dramatically. Uh, he, like, kicks, shot him in the face a couple of times. And then he, like, uses his, like, staff spinny tornado power to blow stones back over the entrance to hell, blocking the Goma commanders from the source of their new power. And then the Goma commanders are like, oh, no, our power. And they just leave. Yeah, they do not spend a lot of time trying to regain access to that hell mouth, especially considering that it was just covered up by, like, a new layer of rocks. Yeah, and they, which and, they have already proven they can uncover pretty easily. But yeah, I don't know. I guess they saw that the. I guess they saw that the tide was turning against them because he probably wasn't able to stay giant without the power of the Ryoku, and they I just guess leave. Not. I, again, I don't know why they just leave because even non-powered by Ryoku, the Goma commanders have shown us that they are pretty capable of taking out the Rangers, anyways. Well, but whatever. They, Dave, maybe what they're doing is they are relying on their henchman, the fast-talking wanderer, to finish the job. Okay. Do you want to, uh, out, do you want to get into how that goes for them? Yeah, it goes poorly. The Rangers totally beat this dude. Good thing, uh, you know, because they had been practicing their tongue twisters. And hey, Matt, remember when I told you that Shoji was the only one that couldn't do tongue twisters and to maybe remember that? Yeah, I recall that, Dave. Yeah, yeah, How okay. is that relevant? Yeah, it's relevant because... <laughs> Dude opens up with another tongue twister bomb, and Shoji, the only ranger who explicitly cannot do tongue twisters, like runs over and he's like, tongue twister, and then he throws it back, which would be fine if there was like an acknowledgement, and he was just like, yeah, I finally did it, and the other ranger's like, wow, Shoji, we didn't think you had it in you, but they don't. No, no, none of that. He's just like, ah, okay, now I got it. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. And so, so the dude tries again, and he throws one, but Rin catches it. Because after you've said the tongue twister, you are free from whatever gayest you are under from holding that bomb and can throw right. it back at him. And then he has to try to say it. But he fails but, but to then, do so because he's all flustered. So well, this happens plus a the few fuse times. is already probably out, I would imagine. Ah, uh, yes. Very good point. Yeah. Yeah, the fuse so, does not reset. So he tries this a couple of times. It doesn't work. He's like, well, time for my fishing attack. And he, like, pulls out his fishing rod. And, okay, and we do get a quick shot of him. And it turns out he does do, like, like a time-stuttered multi-attack with his fishing rod. So that's cool. Yeah. And in a moment of weirdness, if you've ever seen the show, you will know that, like, all the other rangers, or all the male rangers just are wearing, like, pants. Rin has, like, tights on, like everybody else, but she also has, like, a tiny skirt, like, over her costume. Yeah. Okay. In the same way that, like, the pink and yellow ranger does. Yeah, like, they all do this. The yellow ranger didn't in Ranger, but... Oh, that's right. Because Because if you recall in our version, she was a girl, but... Right, right, right. Yeah, Trini was a girl, but in Ranger, it was played by a boy. The character's name was Boy. Did not have a skirt. Makes sense. So, anyways, uh, even in this moment, Rin is not spared the indignity. Like, even though it doesn't matter... Like, the hook that the dude does with his fishing pole attack, like, hooks her skirt and pulls it up. For no reason. Yep. But whatever. It's not cool. Basically, what happens is he swings out his rod and, like, hooks onto the rangers themselves to throw them around. And everyone yep. else gets grabbed by, like, the belt buckle or the collar or something. And she totally just gets grabbed by the skirt. Yeah. And so they, like, call to Guhan. He's like, dude, what's, go-? They're like, what's going on with this Kai Bazooka or Dai Bazooka? You gotta get it to us. And he's like, oh, yeah, I just finished it up. And he, like, points at it like, and does, like, a uh, sort of telekinesis noise. It lifts up. It teleports away and just appears in, like, the Die Ranger's waiting hands. So they go to put it all together. And they're like, oh, but we don't have the seventh, uh, the seventh Gaiden jewel. And Rio was just like... Forget about it. We're just going to use this thing as is. It'll be fine. We'll figure it out. (laughs) Okay. And it turns out he is totally right. Like, they put it all together. And basically what ends up happening is that they load it up with the six um, Kaiden, I'm sorry, Tempo Rai Rai balls. And then the Dive Busters and other things. I'm going to pause you for a second. Because they are. Like, they load the bazooka up with the Tempo Rai Rai balls. But, like, we have seen the Tempo Rai Rai balls. They're, like, maybe an inch or two in diameter. Like, inch and a half. Okay? Like, clear, like, glass jewel things. Right? Like, we have seen these multiple times. About the size of a tennis ball, I'd say. Oh, I don't even think they're that large. But the point is, easily would fit in your hand. (laughs) He was like, Rin, wrote up the Tempo Rai Rai jewels. And then she pulls out these things have got to be like eight inches in diameter. And they are they are not transparent. They are like these they're just like huge plastic opaque gym balls or something. Orbs. Yeah. It's like, guys, we have seen those. Like, we know what they look like. You can't just switch the prop. It doesn't make it. And then there's no reason for it. They could just as easily have had like a clear plastic thing and they like all slide in and they like light up or something. I don't know. It would have been actually cooler. But they don't. No, they don't do that. They just give us these weird other Tempo Rai Rai balls that have miraculously shape-changed uh, for use in this thing. Right. 
so they, they load in their dive busters. They, I think they put their swords in there somewhere. They aim it at the fast-talking wanderer uh, yeah. and just shoot him with a bazooka, and he blows up. Yeah, sort of anticlimactic. Well, I mean, anticlimactic if you think getting shot with a chi bazooka is anticlimactic. But yeah. Okay, that's, that's, that's fair. That was actually pretty cool. Um, so, and this, by the way, the, the, the Kiryoku bazooka is going to basically replace the Kiryoku bomber as their non-robot finishing move. Oh, yeah, I, I think I think we all kind of figured that. Um, so the he goes down, Fast and Comment goes down, and the Rangers rescue the kids. Like they cut the kids that were tied to the stakes free, and then they ignore them. Yeah, those kids can go do whatever. <laughs> it's like, it's like, thanks, Rangers, and then just run off into the quarry. <laughs> and never, like, the Rangers are like, are you okay? Are you, you know, like, are you hurt? Let's get you do home. Do you need to ride home right. from this um, like, quarry next to a Hellmouth that is still there? Totally still there. Did not disappear, or we will find out in a minute, even seal. It's literally just covered by some loose rubble. So. They get Ko and they're like, oh, so you're the Keeper Ranger, huh? And they sort of like, you know, shake his head a little bit and say like, well, you know, we're glad to have you back. Like, exactly. It's very much a OU scamp sort of moment. They give him back uh, Byako Shinken. Byako Shinken is happy to see him. He's like, oh, you idiot. (laughs) (laughs) And basically what they say is like, you should probably stop swaggering around as much as you have been, because even though you're the Kiba Ranger, like, now we know you're just a kid. So, like, stop being the way that you have been, please. Please, that would be great. You don't need to, like, put on a weird show for us anymore. So then they... they uh, Rin is actually the one. She notices, like, the tiger seal on his arm, and they all kind of give each other a meaningful look. Ko is oblivious, because he's talking to Byaka Shinken. And someone, I can't remember who, says, like, Hey, Ko, so, um... Quick question, buddy. Quick question. When's your birthday? He's like, oh, I don't even know. Mom never told me. Which, weird. Yeah, first of all, that's very strange. Given that he absolutely knew his mother at least until the age of, like, six or seven. Yeah, and, like, I remember my sixth and seventh birthdays. Like, I know when those were coming up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And he's just like, isn't that weird? And also, again, mom, you had the time. Like, you could have just said, oh, yeah, it's like August the 30th. Right. Like, you had the time to tell the Rangers in the last episode, and you had, what, seven years to tell Ko when that was going to be coming up? Especially if you knew that his birthday was (laughs) going to be some pretty important data for him at some point in his life. Maybe you could have just tapped, like, I don't know, if you're already branding the kid, like, just tattoo his birthday underneath the tiger brand. Yeah, like, when you you made that brand, just put in an expiration date. Right. Just put it right on there. Super basic. Real easy. They put it on jugs of milk. You couldn't have put it on your (laughs) magical seal that you branded into your son's arm. (laughs) To save him from turning into a horrifying monster. Anyway. Okay. So, uh... We cut over to Cameo, and for, I think there's like a little flash, and he's like still crawling around as a turtle, and then there's like a little flash of energy. Cameo turns back into a dude and just runs away, kind of freaking out, and then the Tempo Rai Rai Jewel like floats up behind him and is like following along. 
So we still have no idea what's up with this jewel. Right. I mean, well, you have no idea. Okay, I know I exactly no what's idea. going on, and I'm excited we, for you to see. We, we who are watching this show for the first time, Matt. So all we know about this jewel is it's important somehow, and it turns at least one person into a turtle. Yep. And then, here is our final then, uh, kicker. This is maybe the best part of this episode. In what is already a stellar episode, by the way. So, we see... Uh, a poorly special affected version of Goma the 15th, like flying down to Earth on his like floaty platform thing, right? He lands in, he, well, he doesn't actually land. He's like hovering in the quarry and he's like, my third eye returned to me. And then we cut over and the orb that we have been seeing every time we shift over to like the Goma Palace that I assumed was in some way like a giant floaty orb isn't. It's his third eye that's just been like hovering, floating around, watching things. Well, I think it's a number of things because we've actually, when the first time we saw him, we saw something similar. I think there are a bunch of these orbs and like maybe this one is his third eye, because oh. it seems like like sometimes they'll okay. change size and occasionally become an eyeball. I and did that. that makes once, sense. To once me. again, this is one of those weird Goma things that we have to sort of figure out from context cues. Yeah. So he like, but it does float over to him, and it is eyeball sized, and he like jams it in the what I guess is empty eye socket in his forehead. And he says something to the effect of like, ah, my eye has seen everything. So we, he has been observing this whole thing happen, right? So he looks down at the hastily rubble-covered entrance to hell and like just summons some Kiryoku and blows the rocks away. Or Yuryoku, sorry. Summons, just summons some Yuryoku and blows the rocks away. Then he looks across the quarry and he sees the abandoned fishing pole from the fast-talking wanderer and right. uses some energy to sort of like, you know, pick it up and uh, telekinesis it over to him. Mm-hmm. floats over to the hole and then just starts sort of like fishing into this hole into hell. And yeah. we, we get like the camera cut from outside into uh, like this pit with flames in the bottom. Right. And like the... it's again, actual literal hole to actual literal hell. Yeah, this is not like before when Daigo got caught in a trap that they were calling a hell. Right. This is like hell hell. <laughs> And so the hook goes down, and apparently and we has see, a very long line. And we see a hand reach out of the flames of hell to grab this fishing line, presumably then so that Go with the Fifteenth can pull him out of hell. Yes. Should we? Okay, Matt. Should we say if you haven't watched the episode? Should we say who it is? I feel like maybe we shouldn't, actually. No, we shouldn't, because we only know because... Okay, here's the deal. If you watch the episode, and if you see the end of it, if you look at the hand closely, there is a pretty obvious clue as to who it is, but they don't actually reveal it. So we will leave that off until the next episode. But for now, that is the end of this one. So, Dave, what is your high point this week? Hmm. High point... Dang, uh, I am going to go with the writers of this show having the stones to have the Hellgate be like an actual literal gateway to real, for real hell. 
Like I just I was I did not see that coming. That was cool. I thought it was the first gonna time be you see like that. A, yeah. They're like <laughs> it was gonna be like an artifact or like a like an evil Tenpo Rai Rai jewel or something. They're like, nope, entrance to hell. And uh I don't know, what about your low point? Low point. Um dang man. Low point, Matt. I'm going with inexplicably shape changed tempo rai rai jewels. There's absolutely no reason for it. It didn't make narrative sense. It didn't look cooler. It was I have no idea where they made a decision. And it was strange and weird. Again, I feel like half the time our low points at the end of the episode comes from a weird prop decision. Yeah. Like, who is the prompt master on this show? Like, I love almost everything about this show, except the prop dude. <laughs> that dude, fourth guy this week, he can go suck a lemon. Anyway. <laughs> All right, man. How about you, man? High points? Oh, man. I think my high point is uh, this is the first time we get to see the completed Kiryoko Bazooka, which in my notes only ever exists as the word Zook in all capitals. <laughs> um, oh, right. real quick. Totally forgot to mention this when they fired the bazooka. Um, it works basically fine without the seventh tempo Rai Rai jewel. It's just not quite as powerful. Oh, okay. Awesome. And they're like, yeah, well, it's not quite done, but this was still pretty good. <laughs> um, all right, man. How about uh, low point for you? Uh, low point is that, like, you know how this cameo thing has been going for a few episodes? Mm-hmm. In this episode, like, basically, we, we started where we ended last time almost. Like, pretty much nothing happens in this. Like, they have a few scenes dedicated to it, but I think that's just to make sure that you don't forget about it, because it has nothing to do with this episode, but they keep shoehorning it in so you don't forget that it's... Like, no, he's still over there. He's still got the gem. He's still eternal, I guess? I guess, dude. And I don't so, know. you know, just don't forget. Maybe in a week or two, something'll happen with this guy. <laughs> anyway, so I guess right, that's yeah. my low point. Um. All right. Well, I think that does it for us this week, doesn't it? Yeah, that's going to do it for another episode of Live and Let Die Rangers. Uh, before we finish up here, I'd just like to remind you all, you can email the show at supersentibrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on future episodes or connect with me on uh, Twitter, we are at supersentibros. If you like the show, and I hope you do, please remember that shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. That's what helps people find the show. Uh, Super Sentai Brothers is a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. Once again, we're the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. And we will see you next week.